Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty and I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne and I'm presenting Talking Design and I'm here today with Mark Douglas, a glass artist who's been around the traps for many, many years. Oh, um, not that long, but oh, a, a couple of decades. A couple of decades. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you started as a studying at uh, Monash University? Yeah, I was at Chisholm in those days, so I was uh, ceramic design, which was a four-year degree. Um, I had a bit of a break halfway through and did some travelling because I came straight out of high school at that point. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good course. It gave you a very good introduction to mould making, a bit of technology with glaze, and actually design, drawing, and um, obviously glass. Why glass? Was well, this... my name's Mark Douglas Douglas, that's the name, that's the game, but that sort of... Um, I, I'd actually like ceramics. Um, and I found that the process of ceramics was a little bit long-winded between the time you make it, dry it out, you can crack, and then you have to select a glaze, and then that might be like a week, week and a half process, but glass um, you can do quite immediate, and the colours are a lot more vibrant, and um, you've know, got the transparency as well as the opacity, and, and yeah, there's it was, it was, it was a lot more scope. Did you feel, Mark, that at the time there wasn't a lot of glass going on and that, that kind of gave you an opportunity especially in the architectural area. Well, yeah, there was it was an interesting time. Even in um, back in those days, what was good about that was there was a bit of a revival in, in architecture where, you know, small developments were happening and they wanted um, something a little bit more than off-the-shelf stuff. So, you know, lighting, feature lighting, door handles, and, and become a little bit more, you know, the decorative arts were sort of, had a bit of a, a renaissance back in the 80s. And um, we were sort of at the brink of the start of that, which was great. Um, for example, when um, Florentino's was done, uh, was, that was my first big commission. And in for those people days. who don't um, can't see the lights, I can see the lights in front of me. Uh, cast iron with uh, glass, or how? yeah, it's wrought iron. Wrought iron. Yeah, sorry, so, um, I was very influenced by Gaudi at that point, um, and later went to Barcelona and was just blown away with the detail that he probably does in his architectural buildings. But um, yeah. Um, copper leaves, sort of, um, and then uh, that was slumped glass, and I used silver stain, sort of get a, a bit of a, a, an amber sort of tone to it, which you know, they use that silver stain, in the, obviously, in the um, big cathedral stained glass windows to get that beautiful golden colour. Okay. So you've been working away religiously for, you know, more than two decades. How has glass changed over that time? Well, this it's good. From the the start, I sort of realised that I needed to, well, just to, to, to work in glass and continue working glass, you have to sort of make a jump from actually doing production glass to more fine art glass because there was obviously the competition between Mexican glass coming in and people's appreciation, they'd look at, they'd go into a shop and see something, you know, a vase, and they think in their head they could sort of get it for X amount. So what I sort of decided to do was try and just push the boundaries a bit more and actually one-off pieces. One-off pieces, more art pieces. That, that took a long time. Well, a lot long time to get going, and you have to sort of start early on and sort of you know build up sort of a reputation, or or, or actually be afforded to put the detail in it. And that's the sort of trick to you know with cameo work, or or and actually I thought making bigger pieces also to it sort of takes to another level of being able to you know obviously blow them into a big level but there wasn't that much big glass around and then you know the the craft movement and the art movement in America was sort of you know obviously guys like Dal Chihuly and, and, and you know Billy Morris 
uh, guys that were sort of getting to a new scale of that. Mm. So that was very exciting to try and push the boundaries and get to a, another level rather than actually doing sort of production. Um, Mark, how, did the, how does the brief start with a glass installation? I mean, do the owners, the architect, do they commission you? Do the owners want a specific look for the interior, whether it's a restaurant or a bar? Or are you given an open brief yeah. and say, look, here's the brief? Here's- I, I, I think it's, it, it is a bit of an abstract idea, and it's very hard to imagine, you know, from a sketch or just a, a conversation of what it will look like. Because glass has reflect, you know, reflective possibilities, and actually when you have more than, say, 10 or 15 or 20 pieces, that the whole feel becomes something different. Mm-hmm. And when it's installed, it does look very simple, but it's, it is a little bit of, you know, mucking around and complicated to sort of get it out. So I think after make That's why with this last show that I had, I found it a so lot easier. the Robert Gould Galleries. Yeah. Um, it's easier to actually make the work and actually people people to see it and they can really comprehend it a lot better than actually even just sort of, you know, going in and, and, and coming up with a concept. Look, obviously, um, that gives people the confidence that you can do it. Like, um, you know, after doing a few projects overseas, it's sort of, you know, I've got some a couple of good images and, and that really helps. Uh, I don't know what you, want, what you want to talk about first, whether you want to talk about the Gould exhibition, which was pretty impressive. How did that start? What was the theme of that? Um, I sort of... Had been wanting to do I, well. I did one piece in about '96, uh, which was in a, one of my first exhibitions there, um, and it was it was something a bit different. It was more an installation piece. It was called Cure. So it was black glass with a whole series of blown glass sort of cells that sat on top of the black glass, and that um, was sort of well received. But it was a bit something a bit out of the box then, and and I ended up selling that work you know about a year later and 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 then people kept on sort of asking about oh you should do something like that so that was in the back of my mind and then I sort of worked um was doing another project where we're sort of doing a whole lot of glass and also laying it on the ground and, and sort of you know coined this idea of actually constructing these sort of flower or blooms which sort of um a series of different size glasses um to create a wall piece that sort of um, so the combination of that, um, and then I made one of the pieces which was exhibited at the uh, Jewish Museum, have a big exhibition, um, well, last year, um, and was well received. So I decided to sort of do a combination of um, these blooms, wall pieces, and sort of more installation um, components, which can be sort of, um, I suppose installed in different configurations depending on what size wall you have or what height ceiling um so they're a bit versatile but it just that impact of actually having you know say you know 40 or 50 or 100 glasses what was interesting about that exhibition is that you had identical pieces on the wall but in different glass in different colored glass and they were laid out in the same configuration but they look very different yeah so that was quite fascinating yeah well you know it's silver the silver sort of obviously one color then black you get the reflections on black glass um, as you do in mirrored glass, but it's just it's a total different feel. And I think, you know, you put finishes like a flat matte finish with a gloss black, and it really, you know, it, it when you see it, it just sort of really jumps at you. I've got a, actually a current little exhibition on in part of Fashion Week, which is in Swank, which is a, a, in the city, which is black on black yeah. um, there. The other thing I'm looking at is these beautiful... Um, uh, 
lights that are kind of almost like ghost-like and they're like shrouds and they're just placed again they're almost floating um how did that one come about well that one funnily enough i was asked to do a commission for a house um and commissions can sometimes go through a long process so this is a house in turak you know, went, measured, da, 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 made moulds, did samples. And then this whole it was the whole idea of just doing this sort of drapery-like fabric, to making the glass into fabric. So I made um, some samples up, and, and, and this was like, as, or I think these were etched in um, sugar acids to get this nice soft sort of feel. So I started making more and more samples, and the client wanted more and more samples. And by the end of the time, I actually made, made the fitting. And then they turned around and said, oh, we've actually went and bought something from Murano. So I'm like, oh, that's nice. So you had know, all these pieces left. Had all these pieces left, and so I've changed my sort of thing where you know people make, make a pay deposit before. It doesn't matter who they are now. Good idea. Um, and so I had this chandelier in um, stock, um, and then Roberto, who's got the Italian restaurant, this was his, for the first Italian restaurant, which was off Flinders Lane, I think. Anyway, I had it there, um, and he had a space which was a very tall space which needed this sort of something, and I put A and B together and. Yeah, you know, he was happy, I was happy, and it worked out okay. okay. The um, I was going to ask you, Mark, the, you've just started a new venture in uh, Burnley Street in Richmond called the Burnley Street Studios. Fascinating idea. It's a 1930s modernist Bauhaus-style building, and it's become like an art centre for creatives, and you've got a showroom there. How did that start? Well, I was... I don't... Uh, small sort of showroom studio in um, Northcote and the idea of just having a, a space for finished workers was great you know because a lot of times studios are a bit messy and it, it's it's sometimes good to bring it out, work out of the context of a you know a, a raw space into a more of a pristine space and um, so I was looking around for a site and then a f- two friends of mine Oshi Fitzpatrick um, and Fiona Larble were also sort of similarly looking around for something. And, and I spoke to Ushi one day and she said, oh, well, we're looking, you know, I'm looking. And, and I said, well, actually, I've just driven past this amazing building in Burnley Street. And I kept on driving past and seeing if a lease sign on it. And anyway, we rang the agent. One thing led to another. We went in there and just sort of loved it. It was a fair bit of work to actually get it back to a raw state. It had petitions and, you know, it was an old school at that point. Um, anyway, that happened. Um we just pulled it out, found some great terrazzo, you know, foyer under the under the carpet in the foyer. The floorboards I, I love, which were under the um, under the showroom, which is you know thin grey green sort of grey floorboards. I think the original paint even. And then the the other end of the building, there was a, a another area which were um, pulled up. And there was this great grey liner. So how it evolved. You know, and I've always liked the idea of actually having, you know, food and a little bit of, you know, community involved with, um, you know, being around work because, you know, a lot of this work goes into houses and, go, you know, people... And it's also and, fairly isolating being an artist as yeah. well. So it worked out that we had about 12 studios upstairs, which we um, sort of subleased to different, you know, groups. And we wanted to get, a you know, a bit of a cross-section of like-minded people together. So some of the... And we've got a couple of PR people. I think we've got four artists... Um, there's an industrial designer. Um, there's a computer, like a Apple computer guy up there. Um, there's some handbag developing company, and it, it's and it's it's just seemed the mix seemed to evolve a little bit from word of mouth. We have, didn't advertise, and um, 
which was great. And, and they're all, so on Fridays we have sort of get together, have a bit of a lunch and invite a few clients in and, and the food's very simple. And um, then you we even have a bike for people to take their um, letters to the post <laughs> yeah. office. Yeah, well, like one of the customers that came in, he, he um, did a function there and gave us a bike. Um, so we can ride up to the shop and with a little basket. It looks, it's a little bit of, you know, you feel like a little bit of Paris or, you know. Well, it's a lovely way of working, and I think it's actually a strong direction for the future that people are wanting that more communal way of working. Yeah. Well, you sometimes go in different, you know, grass is always greener. When you work isolated, there's has its ups and downs, and when you work with a community sort of idea, some has ups and downs, but... Everyone, there's enough space there. Everyone can do their own thing, and we're not sort of, you know, everyone has their own studio, and then we sort of get together. Um, but I think that having that soup of, you know, obviously if you've got on tap someone who can work with who, like the industrial design, I do a lot of, well, a fair bit of work with at the moment, and that wouldn't have probably happened if you're working. If I was working home. somewhere else, it's so convenient to run upstairs and say, look, I've just emailed you this. Can you just check it and just work on it together? And then you run down, and it's done, rather than this table tennis emailing which happens so often these days. Um, Mark, getting back to your work, how do you tend to start the process? Is it the brief that comes in or is it do you just take a risk and manufacture a few pieces and then take it to clients? How does it I think, tend to I think work? it's sort of commissions obviously are a lot different than your own work and your own work obviously is well, what I do is just try and imagine what I'd like to see and with a commission, that's what I also do. Like you walk into a space and just, just, you know, close your eyes, open your eyes, imagine actually what you'd like to see there. In a space which there is a commission, obviously this other surrounding, you know, there's a bit of someone might like collecting, you know, Victorian or Art Deco or they've got a particular art, modern art collection. So, you know, you, you, to some extent you do consider that and actually consider their personality as well. You sort of, they come to you because they want you to do something from, you know, your heart rather than actually if they could want to just buy off the shelf they'd buy it so you've sort of got to consider that they want something from you but you've got to consider them and and you know there's some certain type of people that would just not like a bright pink thing in a room that wouldn't suit but you know then again you might design something bright pink for someone who might love it Mm -hmm. so that combination of the environment what you perceive to work there in your own head and then a consideration for the client all needs to be sort of massaged into some sort of Mark, have you ever um, walked into a house and, you know, you've been given a commission or they want to use one of your lights and you've walked in and seen everything and you just thought, oh dear, it's just really tragic, and then thought, look, I'm not the right person for you. Do you, has that come across um, or do you manage oh, to... I think it's sort of more of a, a challenge to actually not persuade them, but actually point them into direction to make them, in the end, and ultimately makes them happy. Like, mm. sometimes people, you know, go out there and go, okay, we'll just got this and they try to sort of shoehorn you know something they picked up into this space and at the end of the day if you wake up you know you walk into a living room or you're in a bedroom or and you wake up every day and you look at this stuff it makes you happy if it if it all was in you know works and it's very simple or, or you know or a beautiful object in front of you and you wake up every day subliminally you see it and it makes your day happier if you've got something that sits there which is a bit of a mutt or it doesn't really work you know, your day's probably not quite as happy because, you know, you think, oh, you know, it's like having a, a window they have to open every day that, that's not broken. Working. It just annoys you, you know. So that's, I think interior design and architecture and actually art and the decorative arts is a, 
you know, it all needs to work together and actually, you know, make you happy. That's what you do it for. Is it difficult occasionally, or then not so much the client, but working with the architect or the interior designer who has a very specific vision and they become quite controlling and... Well, I think definitely on bigger projects you've got, you know, dynamics of the client, the architect, interior designers and this, you know, and everyone's, you know, they've they've got strong wills and, and, you know, you always often see the battle between the you know architect and the um the um the developer or the owner and you know the owner again commissions the architect because they've got the vision and they've got the deal and then you know the strong willed client is also says well this is my money and i do what i want then so it's this sort of you know Battle. it's like a, a tug of war so you're often caught in the middle of that and you know if you if you side with the architect, you sort of got might have the client offside. If you side with the client, the architect will you know backdoor you and say we don't want to use you. When you so you've got to play the game. No, well, not it's not yeah. it. Just you have to oblige. Oblige, yeah, and yeah. A um, couple of things, Mark. Uh, you're doing quite a bit of work now in China. How did that come about? Uh, well, I actually uh, started with a one project there and I used to be um, involved with another company which we sort of did a bit of work out of China so I sort of spent some time over there doing um, some product developing and, and, and slowly you know got to know my way around sort of southern China and then I worked on a project for the just before the Olympic Games in Beijing and I've never been to that part of the world before that and, and working on this project was a very fast track um, learning curve of dealing with, you know, Chinese, you know, people and, and bigger sort of projects in China and so I felt a little bit more comfortable there because it's, you know, it does sound a bit daunting because there's obviously the language barrier, there's the, you know, working out of your home environment and actually... Um, out of your home environment. Yeah, yeah. And did you actually, Mark, did you actually manufacture... The pieces in China or no? Well, there are some components which I get made. There a lot of lighting. It's you know this is not available in Australia, and for other um, bigger projects, it's obviously more sensible to make it over there and design it here and sample it here and then take it over there. Um, with more complicated things or just bigger pieces, it's a lot easier to actually make it here and and, and transport it over there. So it's a combination of whatever is is right. But obviously, you know. It's um, to ship a lot of glass from Australia to there. It's obviously more expensive to make it here for a project over there. Um, you know, it, it, you have to balance it all up. It's all you know individual. The other thing I was going to ask you, Mark, is how do you tend to work? Do you tend to work hands-on, create a form, and then show it to the client, or do you do a series of sketches, either with the computer or yeah. hand sketches? And how do you tend to yeah? Well, work I think the process? I think samples to have something in your hands, great, um, but recently obviously with more technology and and you know um the, the way you can see it, we've we've just done a couple of projects where you know I've, I've worked with these um industrial designs and they you know it's amazing what you can do with computers these days so i'll just give them an object um a real object and they can actually um i'll, I'll go and measure the dimensions of the room or wherever it's going give it to them and they can actually put it in a configuration which i'll give them the the spacing the and actually it looks pretty true to life what it's going to look like you can actually have the lights on and lights off so you can see what it looks like at night time and daytime mm-hmm. and you know I, I, when I was pretty impressed with it all and I, so what I'm trying to do with a you know a bigger project or even a you know medium size thing is actually for a design fee we can produce you know something 
really close and it gives the client a bit more confident because it, it it is very hard to imagine these things until they're done and and that was that's always the beauty of it and that's you know sometimes a, a risk where it, you know people have it in their head what it's going to look like and it might turn out better although like oh some people are a bit disappointed but it, it's mm. that's the beauty of art anyway you know it's no one's can you rework things once they're up or uh look it you can do anything really like you know you can do anything but it's just it's it's also to if you start living with and sit with things for a while you sort of get to be more familiar with them you know like um that often often happens and even you know i like actually making things and sitting around for a while myself to digest it because you're not sure you know, it's going to work you can sort of have your head too deep into it sometimes and and you lose lose the sort of objectivity and and you know someone else might walk in and go it's fine you know and, and you're sort of worried about you know what mark what for you what's the important thing about a light if you walk into a room what's the thing that you really want people yeah. to leave with well I, I think there is a there's obviously you know and this is this whole whole art thing you know if this if you um walk in a room and you see something you've never seen before or felt that's it's always pretty impressive. It's a very hard thing to do these days because there's so much stuff out there, and and that and and this is where I think scale really changed that dynamic. It sort of leads to a new area. Um, you know, obviously the environment sitting, but but what what I've just lost track of the question mm. there for a minute mm. there. But um, uh, well, what what you know, what does a light have to say to you? Well, a light actually has a couple of purposes. Obviously, um, to emit light so you can actually don't trip over the carpet. Mm. One thing. Um, but most more likely it's a sort of decorative object in a space. Lights, which is great, hang in a sort of a, a zone where you haven't got that much competition normally. You've got a, normally a pretty plain ceiling. Walls to a certain level, you know, you don't put you know artwork in your cornice or whatever. So you've got a, quite a, a good void to play around with. So to sort of utilise that, um, it's good. And, and, you know, having something very, just one simple thing in there is great. Or, you know, I do... You know, some houses where you know you, you might do a few feature ones, and then they just want really something really simple, simple, plain. Or I actually point them in that direction because you don't want to be overwhelmed and have just things all over the place. So, you know, a really simple, just white glass with really, just super simple. It's sort of you know, these sometimes are hard to get. So I'd sort of make some of those as well. You know, I'm, the other thing I was going to um, ask you, Mark, in the eighties, lighting was quite big. You did a lot of. Um, wrought iron lighting and, and slump glass, and it was very strong, almost slightly Art Nouveau. Um, then in the 90s, lighting really became almost, it disappeared. Yeah. Uh, how did that affect you? Well, it's sort of, it was interesting as because, you know, being known as a more decorative artist and actually a lot more um, decorative work, I, I had, you know, wound down my business and actually decided to go into the art thing because, you know, it was sort of weird. There was... At that time, when we first started Slump Glass and the wrought iron, all of a sudden all these little other factories popped up, and, and I just got rid of all my equipment. Thought, well, it's to sort of see the writing on the wall that people wanted minimal. You know, at those days, everything was just white, maybe a downlight or something, and just it was it was just well, it wasn't anything to make. It was just you know, you know, gloss cabinets and white floors. And, how did you and, re- how did you take that? Well, I actually ended up doing other things. I, as I said, focused on my artwork and developed that side of it. And I sort of went into fashion and hospitality and, and other mm. other means to sort of, you know, make a living and um, develop that side of it. And But, you know, I think it was, it was great to actually have the time just to focus on artwork because it does take 
you know, time to do that and, you know, you, you work on something for four months for an exhibition and, you you know, you, you really got to put your bit of heart and soul into it. And it's a, it's a very, you know, risky business too, you know. You've got to, um, you know, trust yourself, you know, even, even you know, you're not even making the work. You've got to continue on and, you know, not really market yourself but, you know, be in a position where you sort of, you know, you can't just sort of give up. Um, so... I think it's turned a full circle now. I think people are appreciating mm. uh, more, you know, objects and the decorative arts are sort of having a, a, another really? renaissance again. Yeah. And people are really, you know, interested in Art Deco. You know, um, yeah, even you know, people like Heckerfield and are out there sort of doing, you know, sort of, you know, well, we've been doing it for a while now, just some more decorative objects mm. that sit in context with modern um, uh, bits and pieces. And I think. It's sort of good for, for people who make things. It's great. Where, for people who want to see Mark Douglas's lights, where, apart from going to the Burnley Street Studios in Burnley Street, <laughs> yeah. sounds like an ad. 240 Burnley Street. <laughs> um, where can they see him in, in, in restaurants? Where, where You said you just did something for L'Oreal Fashion Week. Oh, yeah. Um, where can we see that, your lights? That's Svank. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. So it's a Swedish um, shop. Svank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In um, just off. Little Collins Street, yeah. you know, where the, the Melbourne, was it Melbourne they City do Camp? Swedish menswear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's up an installation up for four weeks. Um, also, well, there's a show, but look, you know, the Italians just, you know, um, it's actually called, I think it's changed its name now, um, where the lighting is. Um, and where the, else can we see it? You had um, a series of lights in the blue bottle. In the oh yeah, well that's been that's changed. That was in the Olsen building. That's right. Um, but that's changed around now, so um, that's not there anymore. But um, look, well I could. There's there's a lot of old stuff. Um, where else is there? There's, a lot of it's in private houses yeah. at the moment. And um, so we'll just get a list of their yeah, names. Yeah, we'll I'm actually up, updating my yeah. website as we speak, which is sort of um, hasn't been updated for a long time. So we're rebuilding that at the moment. So it's only a, a home page at the moment. But stay tuned for that. But um. Okay. Mark, what gives you the most pleasure about what you're doing? I think uh, there is a, a, a certain amount of pleasure in actually still, you know, at the end of the day when you work, you know, make a have a good day in the glass studio and then the next day you come back and you just pull out these pieces out of the annealer, which is a cool down normally overnight or for two days, and, and you just pull them out, sit them on a pedestal, just have a look at them and, and, and just... Um, that That's... It's a, it's a it's a it's a really weird thing, you know. Like that, you sort of make these strange objects, and and that there's not really, a, you know, with the big vase or the the artwork, there's not really a you know people don't need these mm. objects, and so sometimes you think, am I crazy to sort of doing this? But uh, there, there's beautiful things around. I think when when, uh, when you do speak to people, and um, they sort of say, oh, I said, I just you know wake, I love that vase, you know, which you know, I've had it for whatever. It, 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 that's what it's all about, you know. People like you know collecting number one they like having nice objects around them and um they make us happier you know there's enough sort of sadness out there is it a few happy things mark is it a bit like contemporary jewelry because glass art is still relatively new to australia the people find it difficult putting their head round value and things like that uh or you think yeah, it's well established look, now? I, I think you know people are very international now and you know, obviously the internet has really opened up a lot of doors and, and, and you know communication is so strong that you know things would happen in America or Europe and would be very isolated but we're at the forefront stuff and you know the whole Australian glass movement is very for the scale of in the scheme of things for how small we are over here is very well you know respected there's some great 
people out there that are doing, you know... Who's probably leading the way in glass? Oh, this, Which you country? Know, look, I think America, you know, um, definitely has a, a great um, community over there and everything. But Australia, for the size, like, you know, obviously America's a lot bigger than Australia, but, it, it, you know, I'd say, you know... 10-15% of the whole market of you know is well, well recognised by Australian art glass artists you know um, yeah so it's it's it is changing I think I don't think people are really thinking too you know much anymore about actually what country people come from that much like you know there's some great Japanese artists and if you sort of think well yeah. they live in America you know like, so it's all everyone just goes everywhere really at the moment rather than actually you know I'm an Aussie and he's yeah. an American yeah Mark, thanks so much for coming in today. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks very much, Mark. Thank you.